Hi everyone. So welcome to episode 21 of Tetarik with Walid. Uh, it's officially season 3. As I said, every season has its uh, has 10 episodes. So today I will I will be introducing our special guest. As I always say, all our all my guests are special. So I will be introducing him in a while. But I just wanted uh, your thoughts, those who are here. Can you uh, tell me whether you prefer this timing, eight uh, eight p.m. or you prefer the ten p.m. timing? Because I I get the sense that the later it is, the more people uh, attend the session. So so do let me know. You can comment here or you can DM me, uh, and we will adjust accordingly. Of course, the timing of the sessions are not solely in my hands. I have to look at uh, my guests and my. My guests tend to be older, around my age or older. So, uh, the later the timing it is, uh, is, the more difficult it is for us. So, okay. So, uh, just let me know about that. So today we will have, I would say, uh, so thanks Azira. I think a lot of people would prefer 10 p.m. So today we have, I consider the foremost authority on media and politics on Singapore in Singapore, and. He is. Uh, when I was an undergrad, there were three authors, uh, three academics whom I really, really admired, uh, whom I really admired, uh, and I didn't know any of them when I was an undergrad, obviously. But I've, I, I read their stuff. Uh, the first one is Hussein Mutalib, Professor Hussein Mutalib. Uh, the second one, Professor Lily Zubaidah Rahim, and the third is our our guest today, Professor Chiran George. And I was always in in awe of of them and their works, and I always wish I could write like them. And in recent years, I would add uh, Professor Tio Yoyan to that list. Uh, but when I was under an undergrad, these were the three authors that I really, really was inspired by. And eventually, I was fortunate enough, privileged enough to have gotten to know all of them. Uh, so we will be talking about the media, the state of the media in Singapore, especially in light of uh, recent announcements. So let me just. Accept his request to join. Hi, Prof. How are you? Hello, I'm well. Can you hear me well? Hi, I can. I can hear you. Oh, what are you wearing? Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I've done my duty. I've never seen you look this good. <laughs> this is the most I, handsome I've seen. You? <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, sir. Okay, since you did, I was worried whether you would, so I'll accompany you as well. Oh. So I... <laughs> okay. So thank you, thank you for for honoring your promise. Uh, and yeah, it's all in good fun. So thank you so much for doing this. So and you are also our returning champion, the first person I've I've had on twice. Uh, and I mean, I don't mind having you on every season. So today we will be talking about the media. Every football the... season, no. <laughs> yeah, we could do that as well. We you know, I should, as... I should, yeah. I should say, you know, about this that the 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 one thing that makes it uh, sort of, I guess, uh, less stomach turning for me as a Manchester United fan to to wear this because I lost my bet that you know a foolish bet that United <laughs> win something last season. Uh, the the one thing, the one saving grace, of course, is that your team's manager. Uh, won uh, three league titles and three FA Cups for my team. That is true, right? That, that is, is true. true. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Is a United He hero. Is a United legend. Yeah. So, so that makes uh, this uh, sort of kind of tolerable, right? Right. So the, I think. Uh, I but, think... But, but there's a, there's a larger point, right? Which is which is that although football is the one of the things, one of the only things that I allow myself to feel tribal about, right? If we think hard enough about identity, we normally find common ground. Right, yeah. and uh, I guess that is one of the roles of that the media play, right? Despite our tribal differences, to find mm. common ground. How do you like oh. that smooth segue from wow, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, media? That's amazing. I it's, it's like it's like watching Rashford switch from right flank to left flank, right? A thing no, no, of beauty. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think you are the only person who can make a serious philosophical point out of Newcastle. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, the the first question I have uh, for you is uh, and thank you. So I think a lot of people want to make sense of what is going on, uh, in light of the recent announcement that SPH restructuring and uh, is gonna move towards uh, more of a non-profit model. And a lot of people are saying, oh, this probably means there will be more 
government intervention and and yet other people are saying but the media in singapore has always been government controlled anyway so substantively what will change and can you help us the layman make sense of the changes uh okay so so uh, in case uh, you've not been keeping up the the uh, you know what's basically happened is that singapore press holdings has decided to give up on the idea of making its uh, uh news outlets profitable enough to satisfy sph shareholders right and and therefore uh, they're hiding off the uh news outlets into this new vehicle sph media uh that will be uh, market driven still commercial but not obligated uh to turn in a profit to satisfy its uh, greedy shareholders right so it will be a non-profit uh commercial company uh this is um it is significant because it would mean that uh, uh singapore is probably the only advanced industrial nation outside of the communist world uh that does not have a large profit oriented uh, uh news media sector right uh, and this is significant because you know i'm not saying that um uh media for media that uh, commercial profit driven papers are better than other kinds of models whether it's public service models or non-profit media no that that's not the point right uh you know uh, for media scholars like me we look at media systems or ecosystems as a whole right uh that there is no perfect single model for running journalism yeah so, so the smart thing really to do if you're interested in uh having strong media for society is to put your eggs in different baskets you know you go for mm. media diversity rather than imagining that any single kind of media organization can serve your society's needs Yeah? So, so right. by and large, a diverse media system uh, would include, for example, uh, strong independent public service media, commercial media, alternative media, uh, you know, community uh, media, and so on. Right? Um, the 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 important um, you know what what makes this a, a more a resilient model, a strong model, is that as I said, uh, no single media type. is perfect they all have their strengths and weaknesses uh, but when you go for diversity what you find is that they are strong and weak in different ways yeah mm. so so one one media type's weakness is compensated for another media type's strength and this is the advantage of having uh, you know a, a mix of media models of which commercial media is one now most uh, media scholars uh, like me are in fact very skeptical about uh, uh whether you know profit driven commercial media especially if you're going to trust it to the stock market uh, is really capable of of uh, delivering right. good journalism uh right. so you know by by no means am i a fan of the the market and most uh, uh serious media scholars are not right but uh all things considered in the strength of commercial or profit oriented media uh is that they uh can serve as a kind of a countervailing force against um media that are say uh, state funded or public funded mm. right right uh, so that's what we're going to lose out on so you know we say that well it's no big deal you know because after all we have a generally media controlled media system but i'll put it to you that you know even in china for example which is far more controlled than than singapore right. is um uh, commercially oriented media profit oriented media have made a difference uh so from the uh, 1980s till fairly recently until Xi Jinping sort of uh cracked down on you know or most uh, media independence uh you know uh, the chinese look back at that period from the 80s to say the 2010 or so that's kind of the golden age of journalism and why is that it's because you had um uh, of course still all the main media were party owned uh, but you had within the party structure of uh, a party controlled media structure uh, media that were given permission to chase the market yeah so you right. had a distinction between uh party organs or party mouthpieces like people's daily uh and for profit uh still party owned but commercial media like um the the, the i guess the supreme example would be the uh the nanfang or southern media group in uh, guangdong 
right? Okay. Uh, that because they were answering um, significantly to the to their readers and not just party bosses, they started doing things like uh, independent investigative journalism and so on, uh, far right. more than Singapore journalists have ever done. Right. So, so right. They, they were capable of significant change because they answered partly to a different master. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so uh, even though we are in general skeptical of the the market, uh, you know, uh, it, it is still an important countervailing force, and that's what Singapore will be losing. Yeah, because right. what you're going to have is um, uh, uh, newspaper companies that that in the in the past um, uh, were obligated uh, to yes, of course, answer to the uh, to political supervision, but their customers. Were us, right? right. Were, were the consumers. Right. Uh, now, uh, in in the new model, you're going to have a system where no, the customers are only partly uh, right. the the uh, subscribers and readers and so on. Uh, right. One key customer will be the government as a sponsor of journalism. Right. Yeah? Uh, so this is what we need to be wary of. Yeah, that, that right. the fact that uh, you're going to have. Um, uh, you know, even greater government influence on, on right. It's not guaranteed, so, but uh, it could happen. It's likely. Okay, so people who are already complaining about government control of the media should be even more worried, right? As in uh, with the proposed changes. Yeah, we should be wary and vigilant, and you know, right. uh, but I mean, of course, you know, this, like I said, as as you suggested, you know, I, um, I think you're absolutely right that you know many Singaporeans. Uh, we'll say, ah, you know, well, what's the difference? Right. Uh, you know, this is, right. uh, uh, we're just talking about um, the difference between uh, strongly pro-PAP right. newspapers and slightly right. less strongly pro-PAP newspapers. Right. But you don't and, say and that. I guess whether, whether this is a big deal or not, different people will have uh, different right. opinions. Okay. Okay. Right. So, so, just now you mentioned media diversity, right? So, one of the, one of the main examples is always given. I think sometimes the comparisons are made lazily between Singapore and America in every facet. Uh, people who are against the more, more democracy in Singapore will say, oh, look at America and all. Uh, but one, the media scene in America is, is quite fascinating. Right? It's, it's, it's a bit different uh, to other liberal democracies, even the UK, for instance. So especially over the past four or five years, you see that the media has contributed to the polarization of identities. And that's partly because of the market, partly because of media diversity. And, and you know, I mean, obviously, we are not fans of Fox, Fox News, but increasingly, I find even CNN and MSNBC very, very intolerable. <laughs> so, uh, and they are just outright uh, supporting... Uh, one cap, right? So, would media diversity, uh, are the benefits of media diversity exaggerated by people who are more pro-democracy, more pro-freedoms like you and I? Oh, actually, well, the debate, uh, you know, those of us who do study media diversity consider the uh, United States to be a bad example of, uh, of a situation that actually doesn't have enough media diversity, mm. right? right. Uh, so, the, uh, it is far from being seen as a model within the West. Yeah. Uh, so the, uh, in fact, uh, uh, and, and this has, uh, you know, partly to do with the uh, American dominant interpretation of uh, First Amendment, um, of its, of its uh, you know, uh, constitutional order, which is different from, actually significantly different from, say, the Western European or right. other liberal democratic models. And, and the, the key difference, if I could summarize it, is this. Yeah. The um, American uh, jurisprudence has uh, interpreted the First Amendment. It's not the only interpretation, but the dominant interpretation of the First Amendment uh, is that there is really no right to receive. It is about protecting um, the media owner's right to do whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, because the right to receive is actually not written in, literally into the, the uh, First right. Amendment. Whereas the right to receive is included in the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, Article 19. Uh, it is included in um, the uh, you know, constitutions and basic laws of other Western democracies from most of Western Europe, Canada, Australia, and so on. Right? But why does this matter? Because you know, when you um, 
understand that uh, media freedom and media diversity is not really for the sake of media owners. It's for, it's for us, right? Because right. we have a right uh, to, to receive a, a range of opinion, uh, good information that we need as citizens. So it's our right. right? Once you accept that, then it becomes um, the, the duty of the state and society to provide for it, including compensating uh, for some of the extreme uh, results of over-commercialization, which is what you see in the U.S. Right. right. Uh, so this is why, uh, so it is, uh, and this has been well understood for you know, practically a century, right? Uh, right. Uh, the Western European model for assuring media diversity is very different from the American. It's, it's in right. Western Europe that you find, for example, the BBC, right? Uh, as well as German public broadcasting and, and and French and the Scandinavians and Canada and Australia and so on, right. uh, based uh, precisely on you know on, on this concern that if if the if the public sector doesn't move in in a significant way and create a common space for um, for discussion you know for citizens of different philosophies and cultures and ideas to gather together in conversation uh, if you don't uh, you know create some kind of um, uh, well-financed uh, public body that will uh, promote good professional journalism you're going to end up with over commercialization that uh, you know that the world saw really from the late 19th century and that continues to apply in the US. Yeah? Right. Uh, so the, the US is absolutely not a good model. Right? Right. We, we should be looking at uh, independent public service media uh, in, uh, that exist in most other Western uh, countries. So these are public funded but independent from government of the day. Uh, we should also be looking at, for example, Scandinavia which also treats uh, media diversity very, as a very important um, uh, a principle in its, in its media system. And what they do is, is that they automatically subsidize uh, any news media that has, you know, that can show that it has some commercial success, it has some audience, taxpayers pay, right? right. Um, the, the U.S. has not gone that way. The U.S. has right. instead protected the rights of media owners over the rights of consumers. Uh, right. The U.S. also got rid, uh, just I think even Americans acknowledge this was a big mistake. Under Reagan, they got rid of something called the Fairness Doctrine, where, um, where uh, broadcasters uh, who are sitting on public airwaves had an obligation uh, to provide space for different points of view. Uh, the, the, what you see in this kind of, you know, of, of, uh, like the, Fox, you know, the Fox phenomenon, uh, extremely damaging, polarizing, uh, racist, Islamophobic, you name yeah. it, right? Yeah. Uh, that kind of channel is a direct outcome of uh, the regulatory mistake that was made by the Americans in the 80s, where they abandoned this principle of fairness, allowing uh, instead uh, influential news media uh, to, to uh, go for narrow niches, uh, and spend most of their time uh, telling these narrow groups that what they feel is right, and that they have no they have no need to listen to other points of view. Yeah. So, right. so uh, I guess to cut a very long story short, and I'm sorry my answer is taking too, uh, too long. <laughs> no, it's okay. you, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the point that uh, in Singapore we have this extremely bad habit to think that any call for a better media system means that we want to become more American. Absolutely. That is making our uh, discussions about our futures extremely ill-informed and downright right. dumb. There are good right. examples around the world to look for. The last thing we want to do is to adopt bad examples. Right. Absolutely. And it's not just media, right? It's everything else also, right? More freedoms, then immediately they will say, oh, then more people will die by gun violence and so on and so forth. So exactly. America is always used, used as the boogeyman, right? Convenient, uh, so I want, it's a convenient yeah, counterexample. Yeah. yeah, convenient counterexample. So uh, I wanted to pick up on what you said. Uh, so the publicly funded but independent <laughs> from the government of the day, and this is a model in much of the Western world outside America. Uh, but that's because the government of the day is rotating, right? Uh, from time to time. Uh, the, the government of the day changes from time to time. Right? So do you think that kind of model could actually uh, succeed in Singapore where the government of the day is always the PAP or for the foreseeable future at least? 
would it still be possible for such a publicly funded institution to be independent? Yes, it's, it's possible, but it's not likely precisely for the reason that you gave, right? So in, in, uh, Western, in most Western democracies, um, uh, different dominant parties or different strong parties actually had uh, a direct interest in ensuring that the public service broadcaster was independent of the ruling party because they knew that they might not be the ruling party in the next round. Right, right, the exactly. The thing that they want right. is to hand that power to what is now right. the opposition, right? Right. Um, if, uh, so, so in terms of the interests of the government, yes. Uh, I think if you have regular turnover of government, you're going to find uh, not just in media, but in all institutions across the country, right. uh, you know, uh, out of um, self-interest, uh, the government of the day probably would want to have an arm's length relationship uh, with key democratic institutions. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So thank you for that. So uh, let's move on to uh, so the next question. So you, you are, I think, the most prominent author when it comes to the idea of self-censorship, right? And you, you talk about it at many levels, right? From the editors uh, of uh, media outlets, from journalists themselves. And it's not just about them being fearful of the government, right? It's also about them wanting access to the biggest newsmaker, which is the government. And that's mm. a point uh, you reiterate uh, in, your, in your book. So uh, you also uh, talk about self-censorship on the part of Singaporeans, for instance. So do you, do you see that changing with the rise of social media? So I'll just give two examples, right? One is the, the discussions we've had on race in the past year or past couple of years, right? I cannot imagine that this would have happened 10 years ago. Another one even more recent, right, uh, on the Israeli-Palestinian issue. I've never seen uh, an alternative viewpoint being put forth amongst ordinary Singaporeans to the same extent that it has uh, in this past month, right? So do you see the self-censorship among citizens uh, dissipating with the rise of social media? Um... Yes, with some important, I guess, caveats. Yeah, uh, I think you're you're absolutely right that uh, you know there, there are things that are openly said now, um, not just by you know sort of activists or right. you know, uh, intellectuals or whatever, but I think what is most remarkable is that many ordinary Singaporeans who are not particularly right. politicized, you know, and and, may, and probably uh, cut across the the party spectrum. Uh, seem to find it quite okay to, you know, say things publicly without hiding behind uh, the veil of anonymity. Uh, if you think of the uh, things that are sort of shared with you on WhatsApp, right, uh, including, you know, very funny and critical memes to things that are uh, you know, plainly anti-government and so on, you find that uh, a lot of this comes from, again, you know, friends and family across the spectrum. You know, it's, it's right. no longer just the, the troublemakers, you know, like us, right? It's, right. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, so, so something has changed, right? And, and my, my guess is that it's partly to do with a kind of um, uh, demonstration effect, right? That the, mm. uh, you know, we've, we've had Absolutely. this thing called the internet, a very open platform for, what is it, more than, uh, you know, 20 years, right? Um you know, when, when people see their peers, their reference groups, you know, their, their fellow citizens do things that seem to cross the line, you know, they, they take note, right? And say, oh, right. it seems okay, let's do this. Right. And, and I think uh, it, that didn't happen overnight, but over 20 years, you find people more and more, you know, to, uh, you know uh, making the assessment that it is actually okay to say these things, right? Um, right. and, and the government has, uh, you know, it's realistic enough to, to accept this, this sort of cultural change, yeah, uh, because, uh, so, so I don't think, um, when you say that self-censorship has reduced, it is not, you know, I don't look at it that, uh, oh, Singaporeans are a lot braver and bolder now. No, I mean, I think it's just a, it's a realistic uh, assessment of where the limits now are now. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, the limits and, are wider now, or? The, the limits are wider for what I, uh, and this again is an important caveat for what I might call sort of retail politics or the consumption of politics, yeah, um, including sharing stuff that other people created and so on. Right. Uh, and, and this, I think, is based on an accurate um, assessment just based on 
empirical observation by ordinary citizens that the government actually isn't interested in uh, criminalizing Singaporeans by the hundreds of thousands. Right. Yeah. So, so it does move with the times. So I think that right. there's some evidence for this. If you look at, um, uh, you know, it's, we, we, we can sort of forget that in, was it in 2001 and 2006, uh, the election campaign laws did not allow um, campaign videos. <clears throat> The rules were a bit vague in 2006. Nobody quite knew what that meant. And uh, people went ahead and shared videos and made videos in the 2006 election, um, uh, you know, using that gray area, uh, simply because people were, I guess, people were just too excited by the technology. They just went ahead, went ahead and, right. and used the used video. And, and so what happened after that? You know, did the government say, did the government... Um, decide, uh, oh man, this is getting out of hand, we don't want video in, it's going to have a mass crackdown on the use of video. No, they, they, they I think, quite uh, cleverly, uh, or quite um, sensibly uh, realized that you can't close the barn door, the horse is bolted, and actually liberalized the rules for 2011. Uh, it made it okay for people to share videos or make videos in the 2011 election. Yeah. Uh, again, because I think, you know, you got to remember this is a, this is a, yes, it's, it's a control-minded government, but it's also an efficiency-obsessed government. Uh, I don't think it is, was ever interested in recreating, say, Eric Honecker's East Germany with a mass police right. force. <laughs> it doesn't right. make sense, right? It's, right. it's just a stupid, that's a, that is stupid authoritarianism. Right. And this is not, a, uh, Singapore does not have a stupidly authoritarian government. Right? Mm. Uh, so, you know, when it sees that, okay, look, this has become part of the culture, everybody's doing it, everybody's saying it, uh, you know, it tends to either close one eye or, you know, just allow those, uh, right. those uh, borders to shift. I mean, but I, I guess from your, um, from your question, you, you sense the same thing, that there has been a, a Absolutely. Shift. Uh, absolutely, but still with, with caveats also, right? Because, uh, I mean, there are a couple of comments here, I guess, uh, that I want to uh, take as well because the two of them were two of my former guests. One is Sarah. I had a session with her. Uh, she said, as long uh, as POFMA exists, this may still be, there will still be a level of self-censorship. And it's not just POFMA, right? There's the Sedition Act uh, and so on. And, you know, you you say that the government is not interested in arresting hundreds and thousands of uh, or, uh, hundreds of thousands of people, but they don't need to, right? Like, they can make examples of one or two prominent people and that would be enough to send a chain. I mean, the mere existence of POFMA may be enough for some people to self-censor, right? But of course, it is countered by the demonstration effect that I definitely see, especially in the younger Singaporeans. I, I absolutely see that. So, and then there is also another different dimension, Megan, Another one of my former guests, she said that self-censorship takes on a different dimension for the younger generation because online discourse, online discourse is more woke, more liberal. Therefore, it's difficult for, for some of the more conservative elements uh, within the younger people to openly talk about, uh, uh, to openly share their opinions. So right. I, I, I do see that as well. And that is a little worrying for me as well. I, I have heard People, even in my class, uh, last semester, somebody was telling me that she felt that she couldn't really say whatever she wanted to say, <laughs> not because I would shut her down, but, and not because even her friends would shut her down, but she just feels that she would be judged by others. So, uh, would you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, on your last point, uh, which is what media scholars call um, the spiral of silence, right? You know, the, uh, it, it's a fear of social isolation. You, know? uh, you sense the room if you suspect that your views are not going to be popular or going to cause you to be looked down on, you tend to keep them to yourself. Right? So yeah. this is well documented, you know, in, yeah. around the world for decades, right? Uh, but, but I would say that the, the fear of social isolation or the spiral of silence uh, in Singapore context, I mean, although of course it is, you know, it's tough if, if a young person uh, feels that, right? They cannot be honest, uh, you know, in, in a yeah. space like a university. And, and uh, I, I do know where, where you're coming from and I can understand uh, students who feel that way, that, you know, in a way that the 
universities have gone too woke, right? Too, too uh, left-wing, too liberal, and so on. And that is a problem, I think. But you know, to put it in the wider context, you know, the, the fear of social isolation is of a lesser order than, say, the fear For of sure. uh, arrest or detention, 100%. 100%. Uh, or not being able yeah. to get a job, and so on. Right. right. So, so the the, the caveats that um, we were talking about, I think, I think are important. I mean, so, so while. Uh, uh, yes, it is certainly far, seems to be far easier now for not just young people, I think older people as well have gotten used to, um, uh, to consuming politics, including in, in a kind of retail way. Yeah? Uh, right. But, and I did say that this was uh, in a way an accurate calculated risk. I mean, there are some great areas, right? Because, and I think this is something that... Um, uh, young, younger Singaporeans, including people in university, do need to be aware of that the risk may be greater than they expect. Yeah, uh, mm. because um, while it is true that uh, you're really extremely unlikely to, you know, just for criticizing the government, there's no, um, uh, there's no precedent of someone who criticized the government on Facebook, etc. You know, um, if you have an ordinary student or an ordinary uh, citizen. You're not going to get in legal trouble, yeah. But right. are you going to get black marked in right. some secret file somewhere? We had, right. do have evidence of that, right? You know right. it, I know it. Uh, right. Activists, people study politics, know it. Right. Right. Um, uh, is uh, if you get involved in any kind of online politics and show your cards as someone who champions uh, certain causes that the government considers, um, you know, uh, risky, that they might go out of control or whatever, right? Uh, things like LGBTQ rights, uh, certain kinds of climate activism, uh, say, uh, the, the uh, you mentioned Palestine, Myanmar, right. various other issues. Right. Um, race. Uh, race, of course. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, race for different reasons. But I think even right. the <laughs> Uh, so-called political causes. Uh, if you, for example, organize even an online vigil for right. uh, uh, for uh, Palestinians or right. uh, uh, for Myanmar and so on, that's not going to be a different legal problem. But are you going to be blacklisted in a way that makes it harder for you to get a public sector job? Right? We've not had an open conversation in Singapore right. about this. There's lots of anecdotal evidence that says that, yes, you will. Right? Uh, and I, I do hope that um, the, uh, if, if the government has valid, um, you know, legitimate uh, you know, security concerns that require individuals who, for example, do that kind of thing uh, to, to, be, to be blacklisted, uh, no, please be open about it. Because I right. think our young people need to know that they may right. be throwing, uh, you know, the public sector is the largest employer in Singapore. Right, right, right. right, right. Uh, and I do not think it is fair on the young to, uh, to do these things secretly. And it's only right. when they suddenly try to get a job in uh, wherever, some stat board or in the education service or whatever, that they suddenly realize mysteriously that they fail some opaque security vetting um, uh, system. Yeah, that, that is right. just not, uh, uh, it's not transparent enough. And it's, you know, it's something that, uh, uh, the, you know, if you're going to maintain that system, the young need to be told about it. Right. And so Prof, maybe what, they are being, what, they're being uh, recklessly bold. Right. right. So, <laughs> what, yeah, yeah. so yeah. I mean, that I can imagine that it's a bit scary to younger people who are hearing uh, this well, they, they time, should, right? I mean, uh, yeah. you know, if if um, um, if those of us who have seen uh, think we have seen this in operation are wrong, tell us. Yeah, I mean, yeah maybe course. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm seeing right. shadows, right? Right, right, right. Uh, but there are enough people <laughs> in civil society who know this happens. Right, right. Yeah, um, yeah. So so come out and either uh, you know reassure people that that there is no such. Uh, system right. in place um, as long uh, that basically you know uh, can the government guarantee that as long as you do not break the law right in your activism uh, if you stay within the law um, activism is not going to be used against you 
uh, when you apply for a job in the public sector. Right. So, <coughs> so the the thing is the ambiguity benefits people in power, right? The ambiguity because if people are unsure about where I mean you've written a lot about this, people are unsure about where the lines are, then they would think the lines are narrower than they actually are. Uh, and also the selective enforcement as well. Right? So, I mean, let's say, let's say, you know, hypothetically, people say, oh, Professor Chiran George uh, didn't get tenure because of his political uh, leanings, right? And then and then, somewhat, somebody from the establishment can say, oh, but somebody like Hussein Mutalib got it. You know, you just need one example. Yeah, or, 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 yeah, yeah, just, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, kept their jobs. So, so. Yeah, yeah, so you say, so you see, we are not doing mm-hmm. that. So, Chi Sun John didn't, but you know, Daniel Go is still like, uh, so they can they can always point to this because it's so selective, right? So they probably wouldn't, right? They wouldn't take your call and come up and say, "Oh, okay, it's not." <laughs> there's not such thing <laughs> because yeah. it's so, done. So, right so uh, yeah, absolutely right. I mean, yeah, I think uh, it, it suits the state to decentralize these decisions and keep them right. 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 Yeah. Uh, um, uh, so, so not just uh, not just by um, uh, you know in the case of things like hiring and tenure and so on, uh, not just by keeping the rules vague, but also apparently decentralizing it. Right. Uh, so right. 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 The, uh, and and making university administrators the bad guys. Right. <laughs> so it seems to be purely an internalization. Right. And right, you're right, right about the the inconsistency. Um, the, yeah, my own looking at the patterns uh, of the many academics that have been uh, penalized for usually for civil society engagement and actually the very few academics who've actually gone all the way and joined the opposition uh, and they haven't been penalized like uh, Ananda Bayer for example right, you know, right. The, the prime example yeah. uh, it, in a way it kind of uh, fits in with the official line, right, which is, uh, I mean, they've never explained this paradox, but if you, if you read um, what the government has said in different contexts, they've always said that uh, uh, what they don't want is uh, individuals using non-political institutions to further their so-called political causes. Right. And of course, the definition of political is yeah. as, as yeah. it's very subjective. <laughs> if they don't like it, it's right. uh, political. If they do like it, it's public service. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> and you get a national day medal. Right? Um, so, uh, but I think the, 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 uh, the fact that most opposition academics uh, get away with it is consistent with the, uh, you know, the, the doctrine that uh, you know you have to declare yourself, right? Mm. So these opposition politicians have declared themselves. So Anand is chairman of the, the SDP, right. He's not, right, right. Uh, and therefore right. he cannot be accused of some kind right. of covert mission to, you know, to, to use his right, academic right. position to you know, corrupt Singaporeans or whatever. Right. Uh, whereas uh, those of us who are genuinely neutral and don't join an opposition yeah, yeah, party, yeah. Uh, but do take an interest in public affairs, are, 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 I guess easier to brand as being uh, somehow sort of subversive. You know? Right. Right. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because yesterday uh, the episode I had with Sarah. So somebody actually texted me the question she want, uh, wanted to ask Sarah was, uh, it seems like you are not content with the. A PA apology because there are rumours that you want to run as a workers' party candidate in the next five years, which was absurd, right? But that's how a lot of even Singaporeans think, right? The moment you're critical of the establishment, like what's your agenda? Are you going to join the opposition? We haven't really gotten out of the mall where, you know, I can be critical of anybody because, you know, I care about the country. This, this is why. It doesn't mean that I have an agenda to join the opposition. But it, it was used in the past a lot even by the, by the PAP. I remember, uh, I think, uh, then PM Go Chok Tong said to Catherine Lim, if you want to criticize us, join the... I, I remember the Malay MP said to Hussein Mutalib as well, if you want to criticize uh, the, uh, through AMP, right? you, should, you shouldn't do it through AMP, join the... Uh, it's not used as much now. Uh, hopefully, that's a good sign. Uh, 
but yeah, we'll see. And anyway, I'm up for tenure in three or four years. I'll, I will update you or I'll call you if I need a job in Hong Kong. Right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I haven't, I haven't been asked to stop this series or anything. So, oh, you know, that's a good sign. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how, how it goes. So, uh, so is there anything else you wanted to say on that? Or sh should we move on to the next question? Uh, I can go on all day, but let's move okay. on to the next question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, all right, okay. So, uh, so uh, I I listened in uh, to your talk last week, and uh, I think your your clip is available on YouTube, the ten eleven uh, minute part, right? Uh, yes, I'm quite yes. sure. So yeah, yeah. yeah so I think it's on my website. I think I think it was a really good talk. Uh, I think everyone should should listen to it. Uh, one of the things that you said that Singaporeans are at least partly to blame for the state of the media because you are not willing to pay for good quality journalism, right? So, are you being too harsh on Singaporeans? Is it is it really that Singaporeans are unwilling to pay for good quality journalism or because Singaporeans, maybe a lot of them don't know how good quality journalism look like? So, that's, that's why they think, oh, okay, why should I be paying for, for something that, I mean, it's going to be under the control of the government anyway. Yeah, no, that, that's a, I think that's a very profound point because I think uh, that is the one of the big uh, challenges that uh, media development anywhere has. Yeah, um, you uh, media uh, in a sense create taste, including taste for good media. Yeah. Uh, so exactly right. as you say, you know, if if. Uh, you have not cultivated a population that even knows what good media, or good journalism, good culture is. It's very unlikely that they would uh, have the imagination to, uh, to to invest in something that they've never experienced. Right? So, <laughs> that, so it becomes a chicken and egg problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I don't yeah, think yeah. I don't think I'm being particularly uh, harsh, though. You know, I mean, I, I mean, of course, it would be harsh to to lay the uh, blame entirely on, on the public, and that is uh, certainly unwarranted, right? I mean, the, um, uh, the, the government is primarily to, uh, well, either to blame or to praise, depending on your point of view, for the state of, of media <laughs> today, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it operates, uh, you know, a colonial era licensing system, it has, uh, you know, uh, its own newspaper and printing presses uh, act that has resulted in newspaper companies, you know, packing top management with uh, uh, trusted lieutenants of the government and so on. Right. So, so these are the larger uh, structural conditions, right, that set the outer limits of um, uh, what um, uh, any Singapore media is capable of. Right, but um, you know, within that, I think there is still you know room for improvement. Um, right. Well, uh, but actually, take it one step at a time. That the fact that the Singapore government uh, has been able to preserve this particular model, uh, you know, is with uh, the government would argue, uh, you know, this is something that is on the agenda at every election. And in every election, at least sixty percent of Singaporeans says yes. Give us more of the same, right? So, <laughs> Which is true, right? They are entitled <laughs> to think that, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. of course, uh, the, yeah. the logic. I mean, as you, as a political scientist, uh, you know, know better than me. You know, the, the logic is a bit flawed because it's it's not as if an election is a referendum on every single, every single issue, yeah. policy uh, right. presented by the government. You know, it's, it's a huge package. Uh, right. And uh, you know, people may disagree strongly with something, but still, uh, you know, vote for the PAP for other reasons, right? Uh, so, so that uh, that argument is a bit flawed. Um, but uh, you know, beyond that, you know, even if we are not able to persuade the government to to change, there are still things that can be done. And and you know, we don't need to look further than you know our neighbours to see this, right? Uh, Singapore is not the most repressive. Uh, society, yeah. in, even in Southeast Asia, right? right. Uh, Malaysia has very similar laws because right. you know of a common colonial um, uh, inheritance. Uh, the Philippines um, is on paper freer, but in fact more brutal. More journalists get killed and mm. uh, jailed in uh, the Philippines in than in Singapore. It's far more dangerous to be an independent journalist mm. in, uh, uh, in the Philippines, uh, and yet. Malaysia has Malaysia Kini, 
the Philippines yeah. has uh, Rackler. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, these are uh, news organizations um, that produce uh, daily original news reporting. Right. They're not like you know our alternative media right. from like Mothership right. or Online Citizen right. and so on that is capable of maybe one or two bits of original reporting a week, right. but by and large is very. Um, uh, I wanted to say parasitic, but that's far too. Uh, <laughs> far, it's far okay. Too what's the right? What's the right? No, that, that's not. That's not being fair to them. And they, and they do add value, right? They do add value, right. but uh, you know, they, they're, they're drawing on a raw material that is freely right, available, right. often from big media. Yeah. Right. So, so they're not capable of um, the, the the alternative media that we have in Singapore are not like Malaysia, Kenya, and Rappler that are capable. For sure. Uh, of uh, saying, okay, these are the top five things going on in the country this week. We are going to cover it. Yeah. Uh, so, why, so why is that? So why what, are we so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Why is that? Yeah. Why, why are we so behind uh, Malay uh, Malaysia and the Philippines when you know we can't really argue that they are in a less hospitable political environment, um, or sorry, in a more hospitable uh, political environment? Um, uh, is, is it because we lack uh, the talent. Uh, is are we are we, are we less educated, right? Uh, is our training less? That is preposterous, right? I mean, I I've uh, you know, ran uh, the journalism department at your university for a few years. I've seen what our young people are capable of, and I I can tell you that every year, uh, it uh, in a single each cohort of. Uh, um, uh, uh, Singaporeans pr will produce a smattering of world-class talent. There's no doubt about it in, for, for, in the journalistic front. Uh, far more talented, by the way, than my generation, uh, because uh, you know, in my generation, we hadn't, we didn't have these, uh, you know, these special programs in junior college. And, right. You know, we weren't as exposed or connected, and so on. Uh, this generation is, you know, uh, in terms of the, the raw talent that Singapore is producing surpass, surpasses us by a mile, okay? And, right. and you see it, uh, the, the, the number of talented Singaporeans uh, who have done well globally. You, know, you have a, a group of them uh, in the New York Times, uh, you've got others at Bloomberg, um, Reuters, uh, the other Y agencies, South China Morning Post, there is no shortage of outstanding Singapore journalistic talent, right? And some of them, of course, are in the trades, right? So just uh, yeah. they don't get to, 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 to use their talent um, and their skills as much as they should. Others are in Singapore, in other professions, and so on. So it's absolutely not that we, you know, we don't have enough good writers who are critically minded with the right curiosity, nor is it because Singaporeans don't love their country enough to do journalism. None of these uh, things apply. So, so it's not government. It's not the supply of talent. What is it? It boils down to the fact that in Philippines and Malaysia, you've got investors, local investors, uh, willing to put their money where their mouth is. They didn't like the way the media was. They pay for it, right? And then in the case of Malaysia Kini, you've got Malaysians subscribing to it. And uh, because it takes money, it, ta it takes money to hire uh, full-time journalists to be the surrogates of citizens to go and find out what needs to be found out in your society, mm. right? Uh, now, uh, if uh, you ask if, if it's harsh to blame Singaporeans, I would say that if um, if you are the kind of Singaporean who really just isn't interested, you know, uh, uh, has given up on public life, you know, and just want to tune out, um, at least then your position would be consistent. Right. right. You don't right. care. I get, you're not I get what you're saying. Yeah. That's fine. Right. But yeah, more, yeah. many of the Singaporeans I know yeah. um, are highly critical of the media system. But don't want to pay. Yeah. Don't want to do anything about it. And, and, <coughs> so, so the final excuse, oh, is it because we're poor? Right? Singapore, <laughs> don't have enough money compared to Malaysia and the Philippines, <laughs> right? So, so <laughs> think, think of how much uh, uh, your audience and we are paying for uh, Netflix, uh, other streaming services, uh, for our football channels, uh, and on and on and on. All the media, news media asking for is a fraction of this, and you have a Malaysia Kini or a Rattler. That's all we're asking right. for. But, but you won't find Singaporeans willing to pay. 
they, they will right. give um, the, the uh, excuses that I've heard from many other countries as well. So it's not just a Singaporean thing, right? Uh, they will say that, well, you know, I'll be willing to pay for very good media, but I don't like what we see, what we see now. Yeah. Right. Uh, you don't seem to apply that logic to Netflix or football. It's not as if everything you turn on right. Netflix is uh, it's changing a life. Uh, right. <laughs> every, I've watched many matches, uh, mainly involving Newcastle. <laughs> that, that, that I regret spending 90 minutes on. Okay. Uh, that makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so, come on. You're willing to give uh, entertainment a break. You're willing to give sports a break. Give news a break. Right, Let them, right. yes, you know, just in, uh, pay for subscriptions. Investors come out and support, uh, 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 you know, uh, new media ventures. Um, and it's not going to be perfect. But, you know, right. if you care about it, you... It's a long-term thing, right? It's not, it's not going to see short-term results. Uh, and so, yeah, so bottom line, I don't think I'm being right. harsh when I say right. that, uh, uh, you know, that, that Singaporeans could be doing a lot more to, to right. support the kind of media that they say they want. Right. I, I think I absolutely agree with you. Thank you. Thank you. That was a good elucidation. So there's, there's a different angle. I think this is just a comment by myself. I'll just read it out. As a former young brown woman journalist with the mainstream, the biggest battles were ironically with editors and colleagues. And finding alternative sites can be harder unless you have context. So, you know, there are multiple dimensions for younger journalists, uh, angles uh, for younger journalists uh, in the mainstream media. Uh, so, okay, so let's, uh, let's move on, I guess, from the, we only have about 10 minutes left. Uh, so, what is your assessment, since you wrote uh, with uh, Donald, uh, Professor Donald Lowe, PAP versus PAP, what is your assessment of the PAP in the past year? Has it shown some capacity for change? Or is it same old, same old? Uh, I mean, a year is a short time right, for a party, <laughs> for a party as old as... Uh, Sounds like same old, same old. That's what yeah, yeah, but I mean, I wasn't expecting anything different. I wasn't expecting to see anything different, right? Uh, but, but first of all, I think, you know, just to put my, uh, my thoughts in context, when you say change, what do we mean, right? Uh, you know, obviously, we don't mean it would be foolish to say that. Okay, the the change we're looking for is uh, for the PAP to become so attractive uh, to opposition voters that, on mass, uh, all Workers Party candidates and MPs are going to defect to the PAP. Right. Right. What, what right. we're talking about. So, so what we're really talking about is uh, can the PAP. Uh, become the best PAP that the PAP can be. That's, right. that's it, right? Which doesn't mean winning over the 30% of For hardcore sure. opposition sure. voters and so on. And I think, I think most, uh, many PAP supporters that I know uh, believe that the PAP uh, isn't the best PAP it, can, uh, it could be and uh, that there is a big room of, for improvement without actually abandoning its PAP-ness, whatever that is, right? right? right. Uh, <laughs> So, so uh, you know, with that uh, caveat in mind, right, we're not talking about uh, three, uh, 180 degree change or whatever. Uh, what, what would change look like, right, um, or, uh, in the short term? I mean, personally, I, you know, I actually feel that it's, you know, we've got to look at 5G, 6G for change, right? But so what would 4G change look like? Um, is it conceivable that, let's say, um, uh, Wong and Ong, right? <laughs> Lawrence Wong, Ong Yi Kang. Um, oh, you're excluding Chan. <laughs> uh, let's, let's not complicate things. Let's just okay. stick with Wong and Ong. It's nice. Uh, at least they rhyme. Okay. Right? Okay. Uh, All right. Is it conceivable that Wong and Ong have it within them uh, to make the PAP the best PAP the PAP can be? Right? Uh, I personally have not seen any strong evidence that suggests that they cannot. Right? Uh, will they, you know, if, if I could make predictions, then I wouldn't be wearing this. Right? So, the, <laughs> so this is not a prediction, I'm just talking about theoretical possibilities. You know? So, so I, I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah? Uh, but, but so that's for the sake of argument, say that uh, Wong and uh, Ong and Wong. 
uh, Ong and Wong uh, have it within them to uh, transform the PAP, uh, what is the evidence that we would see? Right. right. It would be foolish, I think, to expect them to advertise it to us. Right. Why? Uh, Why would that be the case? We are. We are, have nothing to do with PAP with the PAP selection process. Right. So. It right. would this, be... is, this is not a presidential right. system. We do not right. vote so... for the next prime minister. We vote for the next party. This right. is purely an internal decision. Uh, the, uh, it, it is, there is absolutely nothing to be gained um, for any uh, serious contender for the prime ministership or deputy prime ministership or whatever uh, to play to us, the gallery. Nothing to be gained. Right. So, but that, that, that is assuming that the party is not interested in making their decision, they are not interested in what the gallery thinks, right? Uh, that would be un-PAP. Right, right, right. Exactly, yeah. So right. there's a subject. So yeah, yeah, so you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where, uh, yeah, the PAP yeah. is not going to go populist. <laughs> right. right. The, the right, PAP right. is not going to consult the people over right, right, right. Uh, who should be the next Prime Minister. Right? Uh, the PAP is going to consult uh, the most carders. Uh, and, right. uh, so, so we cannot expect uh, Ong and Wong to play to the gallery and make themselves um, popular at the expense of the internal struggle that they need to face. Right. right? Uh, all we can expect is, of course, that they don't bomb. Right. They shouldn't become uh, so unpopular right. among the wider public that even their carders and other PAP supporters say, no, if these guys get in, I'm going to migrate. Right. right. I mean, if, if the, the pushback from the people is extremely negative and consistent, then of course uh, the PP will have to take note. Right. But it's not a popularity. It's, it's a yes, it's avoid right. unpopularity, extreme unpopularity, right. but it's not a popularity right. contest. Right. 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 So, so uh, if uh, uh, Ong and Wong are serious, uh, what would they be doing? they would be actually focused on winning over their internal audience, right? It would be the prime minister and the small circle of uh, uh, confidants who are actually pulling the strings. As well, of course, would, as, as Would that mean they need, they need to show their toughness exactly, and macho-ness? Right? Right? Exactly. Right? So that's what you expect. I mean, so, so what is the challenge for uh, Ong and Wong? Uh, not get not of course not have their popularity completely uh, mm. you know bot, you know, fall to the bottom right. but you would expect that uh, they would be given a kind of an obstacle course right this is mm. uh, full battle gear uh, <laughs> <laughs> right that they would have to show in the next couple of years that they have a metal right that they understand Singapore's vulnerabilities that they can make hard decisions right. even unpopular right. decisions let's hope that the test isn't as extreme as what uh, Go Chok Tong and his generation had to go through, right. which is to show that they could actually front, uh, you know, um, uh, ISA detentions of uh, Singaporeans and so on. And that was uh, that, that's where, that was their baptism of fire in terms of showing right. that they had uh, they had the metal. Right? Uh, I, don't, I don't expect it to be anything as, as as drastic as that, but you know, you could probably expect. Uh, um, them to have to show that they are tough. Yeah? Right. Uh, so at the end of all this, um, and it'll take some time, right? So, so all, all I'm saying really is that uh, this is a process that's invisible to us, right? right. And it would be, I think, uh, unrealistic uh, for us to impose our own standards or our own benchmarks on what a good reformist PAP prime minister would look like uh, and say that, uh, okay, this is what we want and therefore this is what we expect to see over the next years. No, we are not the audience. No, right. They, they, <laughs> it's, right. So, so much of this will be mm. opaque and we really don't know. Uh, so right. uh, that's, uh, again, another very long answer to, uh, right. to explain oh, why it is that I'm not at all surprised uh, that uh, we haven't seen any glimmers of hope uh, right. The fact that we haven't seen any glimmers of hope does not mean that there isn't hope, right. because we should not so, expect to see glimmers of hope. Right. Yeah. So, so I get that. I get that. The, but the thing is, right? You know, you, you don't tell a person 
uh, for instance, a person is going to get married, right? You don't say, oh, just marry that person, right? Just marry him. He's going to change after he, he becomes a husband, right? No, right? Because that person has to change first for that person to be a worthy husband, right? <laughs> you get what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, are we, would it be realistic to expect then that the person who has to behave a certain way to get the, the position, and then after getting the position to behave in a different way, I guess, is it realistic for us to expect that? Or yeah, but I guess it's, not a, I, it's not a marriage, right? That's the thing, it's not a marriage. So, <laughs> it's not... Uh, so, <laughs> no, so you think it is? Nobody, it is? Uh, you know, I mean, in the Westminster system, nobody is asking us uh, citizens whether we agree to take this man as our spouse for the next four or five years. It's just not done, right? Uh, this is not a presidential <laughs> system where we are asked. Right. It is right, a, right, it's, right, it's right. Party, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so it's you're saying, yeah, yeah. That, so that so-called elevates. Yeah, yeah. We don't have a say in that. Yeah, yeah. Own, right? Uh, right. To be first among equals. So it's a marriage among them. We're not. Right. We don't really count. Yeah. Right. So and all we can do is hope then, right? Well, <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> so, okay, yeah, I think it's more than yeah. that, right? All we can do is yeah, hope, yeah, but, for uh, sure. Also send the signals of the kind of right. Singapore Absolutely. that we want to be, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, final question, because I think, I don't know, now Instagram, they allow for more than one hour. I mean, previously they didn't. I oh, think we, we just hit the off, one hour. Uh, I hope not, because yesterday we went 61 minutes, but maybe just just a few more minutes. Uh, uh, some have criticized you for taking shots at Singapore, being in Hong Kong. You know, they say, oh, you are basically throwing stones from afar. But yet well, I'd be happy to come to Singapore and do the same. But you know, unfortunately, I'm in that category of exactly. blacklisted. Uh, exactly right. So I mean, this is a criticism yeah. that doesn't make sense at all. I mean, you were at NTU and you wanted to be tenured here. I mean, it's just a, a catch-22 in many ways. But so, so, so your response would be just to dismiss those? Because I see this online a lot, I guess. They probably don't understand this line of criticism doesn't understand how academia works, I suppose. It yeah, doesn't yeah, you're right. I mean, so so there's this personal... idea that, uh, you know, how come I don't write as much about Hong Kong? Well, there, there are claims that I don't say anything about yeah. Hong Kong. The, Absolutely. Um, uh, misunderstands what we do, right? We're not like right. bloggers or trolls that are experts right. in everything, right? We, we, right. Uh, we know a lot about very little. So it's right, right. <laughs> very <laughs> we knowledge, right? But uh, it's actually those actually not uh, not true, right? So so um, I'm now in the midst of organizing a, a, a panel discussion in two weeks' time, marked for the first anniversary of the national security law, looking at uh, press mm. freedom in Hong Kong. Uh, one week mm. after that, I am speaking at a two-day conference on the national security law, again, talking about press freedom in Hong Kong. Uh, two weeks after that, I will be talking about um, uh, the, uh, an impending uh, fake news law that Carrie Lam is expected to introduce into Hong Kong. Nice. Uh, nice. I've just finished a 10,000-word chapter on press freedom in Hong Kong post-national security law that will come out in an academic right. next year. If you want to look at things that I've already written about Hong Kong, I'm very flattered and you can go to my website and find an <laughs> article written last year on Hong Kong media. Right. Uh, so it is uh, actually not true that I, I don't right. Uh, right. write about Hong Kong. But it's absolutely, it's absolutely correct that I write less. And the reason I write less is because I don't know the language. So, you know, I cannot make the contribution that is, uh, you know, really that meaningful in Hong Kong. Um, and uh, there, there's no shortage of outstanding media and politics scholars and my friends in various Hong Kong universities. So I'm, I'm kind of redundant in that sense. Yeah. The, the larger right. point, though, I think that we should uh, take note is that uh, so, so these things, these personal attacks uh, are made, you know, pay attention to the timing. You know, they, they went after me when I was vocal about POFMA. Uh, then just before the elections was another time, then they went after mm. some of us. And then now, because I've been uh, writing a lot about the latest media restructuring, they came after me again, right? right. Uh, so, I mean, uh, I, I hope your listeners in particular will be perceptive enough to realize that, hey, you know, if they are going after the person and making these personal attacks, it, maybe it means that they have nothing to say in response to the arguments. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that's what uh, I'm sure most Singaporeans yeah. can, can see through that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I I hope so. That definitely. I mean, and it's also it's very cheap, right? To go down, to go down that route. Uh, uh, well, especially... I don't know if it's cheap. I'm not sure how much they've been paying. So. <laughs> so maybe maybe yeah so i mean that's the other irritating thing right they are throwing this i mean and it's not as if the you are doing it as at no cost right i mean there there is there are plenty of uh cost uh that that can be involved right reputational and you know you are back here you presented at the uh at the hearing for the for pofma and you're always involved so i always find that i just wanted to to give you a chance to respond because i find that yeah. that line of criticism irritating yeah, also i mean the, the other thing yeah. that needs to be said is that uh, you know it's kind of like a misapplied criticism because you know when they go after when they make personal attacks against a person like me that actually doesn't even make sense as a strategy because look you know i'm not asking for anybody's vote and i'm not asking for yeah yeah exactly money, right exactly. so this is not a personal thing anyway exactly right? yeah yeah yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, what I hope from uh, readers and listeners who engage in my ideas is that you, know, by, you don't need to come to any impression about me. You know, just to engage in ideas, right? And, and in fact, it would be um, the, the way I look at it is that uh, it, anyone who, um, before they engage with someone's ideas, first decides, okay, where does this person stand, and do I like him or her? That's a very lazy shortcut to Absolutely. to learn it, right? I mean, uh, Absolutely. like I said, I'm not asking for any sort of uh, um, uh, for for vote or profits. Right. Uh, take what I write for whatever it is, and you, know, you don't need to like me. This is not, not. Yeah. It's not part of yeah. the <laughs> Yeah. And the other thing is, they will question your patriotism, right? Uh, I mean, it's almost as if you have to be a flag hugging, chest thumping patriot well, for your criticism. <laughs> Well, I mean, you need to show it then, or oh, then you can criticize. But even then, the criticisms must be beyond. I mean, all those are distractions, right? Because they basically want you to operate within a particular uh, boundary that they have set. Uh, and the moment you step outside that boundary, then you're. I mean, these are logical fallacies, right? Appeal to patriotism, appeal to emotion, and so on. Yeah, but thank you. I'm, I'm yeah. far from the worst victim, of course. As we know, we have friends who get it far worse. Sure. Yeah, because for and, sure. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's yeah. very uh, unfair what they go through, yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. Professor Chen and George, thank you so much. It's been a yeah. pleasure. So well, actually, I, I do need to thank yeah. you because, you know, we've been talking about self-censorship and so on. And as you say, you are an untenured uh, assistant <laughs> professor. Don't you know, have to remind me. that I... <laughs> Some people may think, you know, this is somehow bringing you great fortune or fame or whatever. But you know and I know that, as you say, this comes at a cost, right? I mean, and you... Uh, of course. Uh, I, I hope that your college or university, the Ministry of Education, see what you are doing as providing value, right? I mean, it's a long-form, in-depth interview that can be very illuminating for people. And certainly, well, I'm not talking about this one, but all the previous episodes. <laughs> no, this one. This one was superb. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and I think, you know, even if uh, your, your paymasters and bosses you know, don't appreciate it, and I hope, uh, uh, you know, I speak on behalf of the audience when I say that you know what you've been doing all these months is is really adding uh, value and showing a you know a kind of a model public scholarship that I, you know I hope more academics would uh, follow. So you know so thanks very much for having me. But oh, don't thank don't, you. That, that, don't, that don't, ever, don't ever don't ever ask me. Don't make a bet about menu again. <laughs> so thank you so much for everything that you do. I I don't know whether you heard the preamble, but you were one of my three. Three idols as an yeah, undergrad. Uh, yeah, so, uh, and thank you so much for doing whatever you do. So, no, no, good night, you. everybody, and good night, Prof. Thank you so much. Bye bye. bye, -bye.